Hey Playwright, I'm Tori Rice. And I'm Mabel Reynoso. And welcome to Hey Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey Tori. Hey Mabel. So today's episode is a little different. We've been talking a lot through these last few episodes about how much we love book clubs, and we decided that we would try doing our own script reading club. We have both read a play. And we have invited the playwright to have a discussion with us. Now, we had scheduled this playwright to come talk with us a few weeks ago. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. the script that we had agreed to discuss today um, is unfortunately really timely. Mm -hmm. And I think that you'll find the discussion though to be one of resilience and hope which is something i feel like we need right now so we're going to keep our intro brief today because we would really like for the episode to speak for itself it is an inspiring discussion with guillermo reyes so here it is Guillermo Reyes has produced and published a variety of plays, including the comedies Men on the Verge of a Hispanic Breakdown and Mother Lolita as off-Broadway productions with Urban Stages, Chilean Holiday and Saints at the Rave at the Humana Festival at Actors Theatre of Louisville, the historical drama Madison at Premier Stages, winner of the New Play Award in 2008, among other plays. In 2010, he published a memoir with the University of Wisconsin Press entitled Madre and I, a memoir of our immigrant lives chronicling his immigration from Chile and growing up in the DC area and in Hollywood, California. His most recent play, That Day in Tucson, was published by Dramatic Publishing Company. He's a professor at Arizona State University in the School of Film, Dance, and Theater. Guillermo, welcome. Welcome. Well, Guillermo. thank you, Tori. Thank you, Mabel. I feel welcome to. So. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So uh, today we are interested in talking to you about your play that day in Tucson. I know that when I finished reading it, I just had this breath, like I had to sit for a moment and really mm-hmm. just take in everything that I had experienced because I was imagining, I was imagining what it might be like to experience that in an audience. We wanted to talk to you about the development. I mean, I have so many, I have so many questions, but um, I'm going to turn it over to Mabel and see if she wants to start us off. Yeah. So again, we actually contacted you about a play that you would be interested in talking about. And you recommended that day in Tucson because it's, it's relevant. It's Mm. heartbreaking because we had, we had decided on this script before this, this past week. And we had this horrible tragedy unsettling that we're sealed. This, this play is about something that happened 10 years ago and just continues to keep happening. In light of that, I'd like to start off with how did this play come about? What's what, what is the history behind how this play was developed? Well, it definitely has a history. Um, well, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Um, I mean, we did it back at, at Borderlands Theater in 2014, and then it was published by the Dramatic Publishing Company. 
and I haven't actually talked about it uh, for for a while now. There is a theater uh, in Central College in Iowa that's going to do it. They have they had to postpone it a couple of times because of the pandemic, but it looks like they're going to do it in the fall. Um, so I'd be curious to see what happens there. Uh, but let me back up. So in 2011, we had this shooting that was very public. Uh, you probably saw some uh, some of the uh, coverage back then in which uh, Congresswoman Gabby Giffords was shot among uh, some of her aides and some of the people uh, in the audience of, of a group of people that came to see their Congresswoman outside a Safeway in Tucson. Um, so she was uh, almost lethally killed and yeah, it was a very serious injury. Uh, but into this uh, mayhem, uh, one of her um, one of her assistants, uh, Daniel Hernandez, who is from Tucson, and it was a young man, twenty year old, in his first internship uh, in college, uh, he came to her rescue. Uh, and he just happened to know first aid, uh, um, you know, uh, for first aid procedures, and um, and he basically saved her life. Um, so he was credited with that, but he didn't uh, know with the type of publicity that he was going to get, right? So then everybody in the world, from, I mean, literally from all over the world, um, the press started uh, calling him, asking him to talk about himself, to, you know, how did he happen to be there, telling his story. They also outed him because he was gay, but not at the time he was not, he was not particularly open. Uh, but then the entire world suddenly knew about him, him and the, his sexuality. And then President Obama came to town. And, of course, he saluted all the heroes, all the people who came to the rescue, among them Daniel. And, of course, he also got this coverage. Um, and then he wrote the book called um, They Call Me a Hero is the, the title of the book. Um, he wrote the book. And I read it um, also because I, I happened to have uh, kept up with the coverage back then. Um, so I read the book and I thought, you know, I, I, there's something about this that interests me as a play, as a story that's very intimate. At the same time, it connects to a lot of the issues that are going on with gun violence and these lone wolf attacks, you know, by by disaffected young men in particular um, who are lonely and suddenly take up a gun and, and create this type of mayhem, as we just saw last week. Right. So, um I just found it interesting for all of those issues. Um, so I happen to know a former student, uh, and I'll give him credit. His name is Marcelino Quinones, who was an ASU uh, alum. Uh, he got his BA in theater from Arizona State, but then he also got his MFA in, in theater from Arizona State as a performer. Um, he happened to know Daniel because he's very much involved in the community as an activist. He knows Daniel Hernandez and said, and so I said, you know, in a very self-serving manner, I said, could I meet him? I'd be really curious to talk to him about his book um, and whether or not it could be a play. And uh, Barcelona said, sure, just come meet us at Starbucks. And he called up, you know, impressed me with his, you know, phone, called up Daniel. Daniel, Guillermo wants to meet you. Okay, so it happened that fast. Uh, about a week later, I met Daniel. Um, Daniel happened to be also um, elected about a year later 
to the uh, Board of Educators in the Tucson area. So he was already an elected leader. And then later after that, he ran for the Arizona State Legislature. So he's now a legislator. And all of this happened for him in, the, in his 20s, you know, so it's a very remarkable story. So then I I read the book. I mean, I took a lot of uh, information from the book, but I, I, I it's not just the book that I that I used. I also read up on um, other, other uh, publications. Gabby herself has a book. Um, and also a lot of stuff from YouTube and the CNN coverage. And I, I quoted sometimes literally from, from the, the coverage. So it's in some ways, it's a docudrama. Professor uh, Johnny Saldana, who, uh, who, who you know, developed a lot of uh, plays based on uh, documentary evidence, uh, he called me up and said, so what is this? Is this a, a docudrama? What is this? Well, in a way, it is a docudrama, although... I used my imagination about some of the dialogue that was uh, that was in the in the play. So okay, so I met Daniel, and then later, uh, once I wrote the play, I did a reading locally, and I invited Daniel again. So he came to the reading, and uh, he said he liked it. But I always kept asking him, "Did I get something wrong?" You know, because I the dialogue in- includes dialogue between him and his parents, him and his teachers. So I'm putting dialogue into all these people. Uh, mouths that I'm imagining, right? So in that sense, it, it is drama, but it, it's based on a real life and then real people. And he said, you know, don't worry about it. If you if if any of the characters say anything that's completely wrong, I'll tell you, and and then you can fix that. So so then I did a reading at Borderlands Theater where he brought his family, uh, his parents and his sister. I mean, they were all in the audience. And yeah, none of them complained. So I assume I got it right. But I, I always keep wondering, you know, did I do something wrong? Like, am I, are the parents going to be offended if they say this or if they say that? But nobody, none of the family members complained. So finally, um, Borderlands Theater decided to do it, decided to do it in Tucson. Uh, this was back in 2014, and it was directed by the artistic director, Barclay Goldsmith. And I did some rewrites uh, in, in, in the process. And um, and it, it was very interesting to watch it with uh, Tucson members. I mean, I, I think it was in some ways it's it's a little difficult in in that it's it's somewhat it's a choral it has a chorus really that constantly comes in and out and the actors have to take on different characters. The only one who doesn't change is Daniel, that's the central character, and one actor plays him. Uh, but then all the other characters, including Gabby Giffords, are played by a bunch of different actors. So it's, it's in many ways, it's very challenging to to actually stage it. And and I saw that as a some as a difficulty in some ways. Uh, but but still, they got it done, and, and it was it was it was worth watching. Uh, there was one performance that I saw where several people who had been part of the shooting, particularly the people who were credited with, let's say, taking away the gun from uh, uh, from from the shooter. Uh, and this uh, this woman who took his cartridge away, and then she was the only one who came up to me afterwards, and because she was very humble, she said, "I think you gave me too much credit. I think, you know, the first the man took away the gun and stopped it, and then I took the cartridge. It's not like she took the cartridge before the gun was out of his hands." She said, uh, "You know, she wanted to make sure that that was said," <laughs> and I think that was the only little change that we made just to pleaser but but nobody else mentioned anything else so i was very i was left a little perplexed uh, because yes the dialogue is 
imagined dialogue, but but I you know I didn't get any uh, feedback from from those people. I don't think Abby Giffords went to see it, and ironically, uh, obviously back. Now in November 2020, her husband becomes the United States senator when at the time it was, you know, considered she was considered to be a major contender for a future run at the, at the U.S. Senate seat that then her husband took up. So all of that happened in the aftermath of this particular event. Um, so in that sense, it was very, I don't know, it, it was just taking the pulse of what was going on at the time and of the history of what was going on in Arizona at the time. But it, there's just so many angles uh, that you, from which you could tell the story. But I, I enjoyed, I think, reading his book to begin with and how, you know, put him in the spotlight. And that way you could come at it from a very personal point of view, because otherwise it probably would have been more all over the place if it hadn't been that way. I felt it was important to give it a center you know, focus. And his book helped me do that. There's a, um, I feel like a great responsibility that falls on the playwright when you are dramatizing a real life event, you know, and it sounds Mm -hmm. like you took great care to try to make sure that you were um, honoring the voices Mm -hmm. of the different people who were involved. And I love that, that it focuses on this young man who suddenly finds himself he feels like what he did was, um, you know, I just, I did it because um, that is the right thing to do. I was there, I helped, I, and and wow, that he had the training, you know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Back in high school or things might've turned out a lot differently. Right, exactly. Um, um, but I was thinking that the play also brings up the subject of mental health too, which continues to be, mm-hmm. Um, something that we we are talking about, I feel right. like on a daily basis, you know, with guns and mental health and and all of that. Um, I, I have a I have a question about Daniel's parents. Um, I loved those two characters. The fact that you had their voices, they were both unique. They were so different. And you said that that you were creating this dialogue. So was the mother? A cake baker? <laughs> Did she actually make cakes? Was that a thing? Yes, yes, that is a okay. thing. That that is in his book. Uh, that she she oh, baked okay. cakes yeah, for Gabby Gifford. So I included that because yeah, I did think that was very revealing of her and the way that she she liked to function. And so she yeah, she was fun. Um, the actress who played her, Esther Almazan, who later became an MFA uh, student, by the way, <laughs> in dramatic writing. Uh, well, she told me yeah that she went to to her house and, and met her and. And, uh, and and got a good sense of what she was like. And she said she was like that. She was very giving and, and uh, she baked cakes, yes. <laughs> but you, and you had not met them before you wrote the play, is that correct? No, I had not met them. I really took just a lot of uh, what I gleaned from the book itself and, and got a, a sense of, you know, how the family functioned uh, because it was, you know, they seemed to be a very supportive family and, you um, you know, there was a warmth about it. The way that he wrote about his family, I think, was very, uh, I think, very revealing. Um, but I'm not, I really, I, I, contrary to what Johnny Saldana would say, I'm not a docudrama writer. I, I am a dramatist, you know, so I didn't want to do that type of research where I have to, you know, go meet everybody and talk to everybody because I think I want to use my imagination more than anything else. I mean, I think I got the information from talking to Daniel, from reading his book, and I think I wanted to create 
the, the characters based on that, you know. Uh, but I felt if I had to interview everybody, I'm not sure I'll ever get done with this. Uh, I felt that the, the story that he provided, that he told, his real life story was was interesting, you know. Um, and, and he allowed me to tell his story, you know. So I'm really thankful for that because he's he was very open to that, you know. What kind of permissions did you need to get mm -hmm. in order to write this story? You know, uh, um, I'm I'm curious about it because I feel like when you are doing real life people and he's still alive, right? Yes. So, <laughs> so that's the thing. Like if it was someone who had passed on, it, maybe it would look different, but because he's right. still a living, breathing human being. Well, I'm wincing when I say that because uh, I know that there are, there are some issues involved. So I will go... I will do what the dramatist guild told me what to what to say, which is, yes, that the book inspired the play, but it is not a book adaptation. So I am not, you know, because that would require all sorts of issues with the publisher, and and that I mean originally there was going to be titled uh, they call me a hero, uh, and then eventually I <laughs> I changed the title because of that because it's not the book, you know. So once I added all this other documentary you know, type of information. Uh, his book, for instance, doesn't have a lot of information on Jared. I provided more of that uh, because I read the sheriff's report, which I, th I think is still on the on the, uh, the website. They, they uh, you know, provided it uh, on the website. So I read that and I read other things. So there's a bunch of other things. Um, who knows what other copyright violations I did, but but I think if you quote enough, uh, in like if you're quoting a, um, a newscast, a few words out of a newscast, that's fair game. I, I think that's what the dramatist skill said. I don't know. The point is, uh, you know, I'm getting old and right now I don't care, you know, <laughs> about all of those things. Uh, so, um, well, what the dramatist guild told me was that if I had Daniel's permission to tell his story, then I have his permission. And therefore, I am telling his story. I'm elaborating it with other, you know, with other facts so that I'm not doing a book adaptation per se. Uh, but I know there's a thin line there. Um, however, having gotten his permission is that's that's basically it. And because the play has been done now, it was done in his hometown. He knows about it, you know. So all of these are permissions <laughs> that you that you get. So anyway, I hope so. Um, but uh, I think what was interesting also the for instance the 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 shooter's family, um, Jared. Um, you know, I don't know. I never spoke to his family, obviously, but I got the information from uh, from various news sources. And again, the sheriff's interview with him uh, was was the one that uh, that I, I included a few <laughs> a few quotations from that, where he was answering sometimes not answering questions, asking permission to go to the bathroom instead. And then his girlfriend said on YouTube, I dated him, but that's not the man I dated. He was not like that when he was uh, high school kids. Something happened where he lost his mind and and um, he couldn't, He th there was no help for him from, from mental facilities. His mother struggled with that. Um, and then it, it, like many other uh, of these shooters, it seems like the only thing he had accessible to him was guns. Mm -hmm. This country provided him with all the guns that he needed. They were available at the local store, the Walmart. Um, and the only thing that happened was that the Walmart uh, sales clerk didn't sell him bullets that day, but then he went to another, <laughs> another Walmart and found them there. Uh, so, you know, 
this country gives access to uh, a lot of these people to guns, um, but giving people access to healthcare is, I don't know, it's not something that's considered a priority, apparently. So that's the sad part of it all. <laughs> and, and that comes no. up in the story, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when he, when uh, Daniel loses his health care coverage and oh, is going right. through, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it's amazing because you touch on so many things, as Mabel said at the beginning of the interview, that are still relevant today. These, It's still happening with health care, mm-hmm. with gun control, with mental health, and not addressing the needs of people mm-hmm. that have those struggles. Something that's really interesting about this play is that we we i think tori and i can both agree that we fell in love with daniel's parents they were they were just (laughs) lovely right but i think we can also agree that we felt this desperation for the shooter's parents i mean i and 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 i think that's one thing that i think you did marvelously is is there's a villain in this story but who or what is the real villain here because Mm -hmm. Clearly, this this person was not well, and and the parents tried to stop, and um, just it's not it's not a black and white. You know, you can't say, oh, you know, like it, you you really you created a, a a sense of desperation for this person who would later go on to do these horrible things, mm-hmm. yeah. and um, and I and I just thought that it was really interesting to see that there were there were these families that both really cared for their sons. And the outcomes were so vastly different. Well, and the health situation was interesting, too, because there is a parallel there um, that uh, Daniel went to Pima Community College when he was ill uh, because he took some you know, night courses or online courses uh, just to keep up. Uh, he had just momentarily dropped out of U of A. Um, and then Jared went to Pima Community College as well, but he was kicked out, apparently, uh, because he was uh, disturbing the peace or something like that. Um, so the the two of them kind of intersected at a certain point. They never met, as far as I know, but but they were around Pima College, um, you know, approximately at the same time. And I just thought that was interesting um, how how that happened. Um, another thing that I that I gleaned also from his book is that. He was, uh, as, a, as a little kid, he was precocious in, in reading the New York Times, but he was also being teased about being gay at that age uh, because he was reading the New York Times. It wasn't a masculine thing to do, apparently, for a boy to be doing that. Uh, but his parents didn't care. They bought him a subscription to the New York Times. Um, and that was part, you know, I mean, part of what saved Gabby Giffords had to do a lot with his precociousness because he wanted to do that even though he was being called gay and then when he joined the um, you know that that nursing class where he got the certification he was the only boy and of course he was also being teased uh, about the very same thing uh you know that he was going to be the only boy in the class and it was gay and blah 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 so he got his certification in in first aid emergency procedures uh based on that and of course you know, it happened <laughs> that when he goes back to school at U of A and then becomes an intern for Gabby Giffords, that's what saved the day for her, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just thought there was an interesting intersection of, of issues there of, uh, of, of what happens to a boy like that um, and, and what becomes of him. He becomes a hero not because of a macho thing. He didn't wrestle down the shooter or anything like that. He applied uh, pressure on her wound, which he knew how to do because of his training. 
Um, and I just thought that was an interesting result of, of all those, uh, of how he grew up and what he was willing to learn at that age, you know, so. I love that you you call, you you point to that in the script, right? When, um, when like what saved Gabby Giffords was not a gun, mm -hmm. it was knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I yeah. thought that was a really beautiful um, moment. Um, I, I have a question about the audience reception. So it mm -hmm. was performed mm -hmm. in Daniel's hometown. So what was what was that like for for the audience? How was that? I well, I wasn't there at every performance. I went on opening night, and then I went uh, back the following week uh, to watch one performance. Um, well, I mean, opening night, are, you know, all the friends, family, and, and so forth, um, and, and the actors' friends, and so forth. So it was a good night. It was, there was a reception before, and I talked to the audience, and they were very interested in the subject matter. Uh, but some people told me, you know, I, I'm interested in the subject matter, but my wife wouldn't come because she was afraid, you know, that it's going to be about violence. And it, uh, some people did not want to be reminded, apparently, of the subject matter. It was a it's rather painful topic. I had only been about three years at the time and so um later when i came back and, and also there were in the audience these people who are mentioned in the in the play for them it was it was also um you know a, a journey because uh, some of them we had an audience talk back later and, and some of them mentioned you know that they came you know hoping that it wouldn't be traumatizing but that they were relieved that yeah, there was no literal violence in the, in the presentation. The violence obviously is talked about, uh, but that there is a redemptive quality to to the play, so that they did they did not feel uncomfortable, and and that the play did not, uh, you know, go into in depth about injuries and killings and so forth. Um, it's painful enough to to hear about it, but it seemed like it there was some cathartic. <laughs> quality to to the play for for some of these people uh we did a special presentation at phoenix college for students there um and it was that was very interesting as well uh because daniel um he was not exactly zoomed in i don't know what they did at the time there wasn't zoom but it was another type of <laughs> um phoning in video phoning in uh video conferencing in uh where he talked to the students and and uh and they felt uh, I don't know, honored by his presence. Uh, and then we did the presentation in a kind of stage reading format. And, and it was very enlightening uh, for them because they hadn't, um, even though the event had happened in Arizona, some of the students didn't know. <laughs> it was Phoenix College. It's like, oh, it's, it's in Tucson. It's far away. You know, for them, it was far away. Some of them didn't know about it. You know, like, oh, we didn't know that this happened. You know, so for them, it was very informative. And, and yeah, they, they liked the fact that the it, it, uh, it, it, Phoenix College, particularly this group, was mostly Latino, Chicano students. Um, and they thought, okay, he's a hero, you know, for our community. We just didn't know, you know. Okay, so but by then he had become a state legislator, so you know he wasn't that unknown. Uh, but you know people forget so quickly in this country, so it was interesting that way. Um, I'm trying to think of another situation uh, that happened. Um, let me think about. It. <laughs> there was there was another presentation that I. Oh, okay, I know, I know. The the teacher from Tucson High School called me up and said, "Is it okay if we do this?" Um, and uh, yeah, I said, well, "Yeah." I mean, I have. I had no control over that, you know, I just said, yeah, go ahead, please. <laughs> um, 
I mean, they were asking for my permission, but you know, playwrights are not going to say no when they, people want to do the play. <laughs> you know, so true. Uh, but I, yeah, so but anyway, no. But I'm I'm glad that they you know at least they asked. But um, but they did that, and apparently it was very informative. I mean, the teacher uh, put, put pictures of all her acting students on on the website in, in facebook and then daniel appeared in that one because he had gone to that high school apparently so i thought that was an interesting event i wasn't there to see it you know so there's an interesting you know um i, I think what's happening is that some teachers are using it to inform their students to educate their students about the issues and about the the fact that this happened because it's been 10 years and well people were already forgetting a few years later you know and and it seemed like that's that's one of the interesting aspects of a play like this. It's like, does it survive the event? Is it relevant to people who weren't there, for instance, uh, people who may not be attuned to the issues involved? Um, I had um, an interview uh, with uh, a, uh, a theater professor uh, way out there in a community college. I won't mention the name because this one's a little negative. Negative in the sense that he wanted me to do a play there that would be relevant to students. So I, I gave him this play. Um, I, mean, I mean, he was looking for a Latino theme is what I mean relevant to his students. He was looking for a play, but then he said, you know, the politics out here, I don't know, people are gonna think it's an anti-gun play. And I told him it's not an anti-gun play per se. I mean, you can maybe uh, say that it might be because it involves Gabby Giffords and, and she, has, she and Mark Kelly became you know, proponents of gun legislation, but they're not anti-gun per se. Anyway, I didn't want to get into all the discussion of all those issues. And I said, you know, it's more, it's more about violence. It's more about mental health. It's more, it's also about a young man who then became a hero to a lot of people because of what he did. It's more about that, you know, but anyway, so the point is that community college did not do the play because they thought it was too controversial. So we get into these arguments about what is proper to show students or not, you know, whether or not the, the, um, the social political climate is, is too negative or people are going to be offended if you bring it up. I mean, some people are offended just because they think it's it's going to, whatever, deny them their Second Amendment rights or, or that the play is promoting something like that. You know, as I said, it's a story. <laughs> That's all it is. But, there, but there's even that moment in the play mm -hmm. where Dan, Daniel is canvassing mm -hmm. and has the conversation with someone who is very pro-Second Amendment. And, and I thought it was great that you had that opposing point of view in there, but they had a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. And what yeah. I, um, it's really unfortunate that that um, college decided not to do this because this play can open up the conversation so mm -hmm. that, you know, people can talk about it. And also, I just thought it was a great story of resilience mm -hmm. and hope. And I mean, then you can, you can also look at where these people are now, where Gabby Giffords is now and Daniel Hernandez oh my goodness he's a representative right now right, right. you know but to, but to look at those stories you weave it so beautifully Mabel and I were talking that it has this lyrical quality to it it and it really I mean this play starts right out the gate bam you're just 
in it and so so much is happening and it has that feeling of what it might be like to be in a situation that is high stakes high crisis you know so many things happening at once and then we start to narrow in on this young man and his story mm -hmm. and i just thought that that was brilliantly done well thank you thank you i mean i i think that um Again, the structure of his book kind of led me into that. Um, it just had to be, you might say, dramatized more, you know, because I felt that the the book, yes, the book starts us off on that event and then goes back into his life. Um, and then, but then you have to focus in, right? You have to be very selective about the, all the details because there's a lot of detail in the book, obviously. Um, and then, you know, then I brought in all the other issues of uh, Jared Lofsner's family and his issues and, and the other things that I found. I, I even like the CNN quote because <laughs> because that's what I experienced. <laughs> I was in L.A. and I got a text. I used to get these text messages from CNN. And, and that text message said, Gabby Giffords has been killed, you know. And I thought, whoa, that you know that really shook me up but then 10 minutes later it says uh she's still alive <laughs> excuse yeah. her, her uh, our bad <laughs> exactly <laughs> so i thought that was kind of funny in a kind of a sick way a dark comedy you might say the way that the the play moves there are mm -hmm. there are really intense moments but then there's also that the humor and we see that with the conversation between the parents you know and but i have to tell you when when the reveal was made about the flashbacks, you know, the emergency room when he went when he was five years old. And I got, I, I get like, I'm getting goosebumps mm -hmm. now thinking about it. Cause it was just so, I was just like, oh. it's like, <laughs> it's like these, the serendipity of this story, hmm. I think is what makes it so powerful. And also I have to say that you focusing on Daniel's story, I think makes this event so much more memorable. I knew about Gabby Giffords. I knew about the shooting, but you know, we're in California. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we knew there was a guy that showed up at, at, you know, at a shopping center and, and opened fire and people died and Gabby Giffords got shot. But now the, the specificity of telling Daniel's story is I'll remember it. I've internalized it because I felt the emotion going on this journey with Daniel is going to help me remember the story. So I think mm -hmm. it is a really powerful tool for young people who might not be, or not, or anyone who's not, familiar with this situation yeah yeah i mean i i found this story when i first heard it i found daniel's story to be very compelling which is why i thought oh my god this could be a play i mean i thought of it even before he wrote his book because i read you know like everybody else i was i was looking at the coverage and suddenly he came on tv and started telling his story and i thought that's a really remarkable story you know uh and then of course then he was saluted by president obama and then the book came out you know so there's a lot of interesting interesting details about growing up in Tucson that just made me very curious to see how it would play on stage, you know. And there's there's a couple of other uh, plays that I've worked on that have a similar quality. Um, I, I just think that there's sometimes, you know, when we look around, you know, when we read behind the scenes in particular, we find those particular stories that can can uh, help illustrate the point, I think. Um, and I think this was like an event, right? Event that happened, there was, there was violence, there's politics involved. I mean, it could have been told from Gabby Gifford's point of view uh, or Mark Kelly's point of view. It could have been told from any, anybody's point of view, but, but the, his story that I felt gave it a, a different sense. It gave me a sense of the city, of his community, 
you know, and uh, even though I think I understand the community, I've been in Arizona long enough to understand what's going on. Nonetheless, it brought me into that household and it gave me a sense of what it was like growing up, you know, in that uh, in that world. So I think that's what I like about certain types of plays that can give me, a, you know, the intimate details of something that that seems remarkable. Um, and it also brings down to earth, you might say, a, a big topic, you know, so people can say it's a play about gun violence uh, or it's a play about a shooting, uh, but um, it, there's something more intimate than that, you know. Something you said made me think it's something that, that Mabel and I uh, talk about a lot in, in mm -hmm. our own residencies as well. And it started, though, with your curiosity about hmm. this young man. You, mm -hmm. you said, I was watching him be interviewed and I went, oh, that would make a good story. I'm really curious about that, which is what led you to do is, uh, some more digging into his, mm -hmm. and you know, reading the book and then looking at other stories, news coverage, and, and then really wanting to get to know more about him. Mm -hmm. um, and I commend you too for writing a play of a of an extremely violent event but without having the violence on stage you were right. able to tell the story and then the levity as Mabel said that you were able to bring into those moments because we need those moments to breathe i think when we're sitting and watching a play and there were so many great <laughs> moments where uh, yeah, I, I actually laughed out loud. I think one of them was when he is uh, uh, outed to his parents, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he says, gotta go <laughs> and exits out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if it happened exactly that way, uh, but there was an awkwardness. I think he wrote about being awkward around his parents. So that's where the, the dramatist in you has to interpret, you know, what does it mean to be awkward around your parents? Uh, and how much did the parents know or were willing to, you know, or were willing to find out? I mean, they 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 were very supportive ultimately, but but the, but he hadn't spoken to them about it, you know. So that was uh, that was a very powerful moment. Um, and, and But it can be awkward, especially if you're not the type of person who is comfortable, you know, always talking about that such things in your identity. So I thought, you know, those are, I thought that was something that I wanted to also work with. I wanted to work with his, uh, with how much he was willing to share in his book. And uh, uh, he doesn't go, you know, deeply into it. Um, you know, he doesn't talk about personal, I don't know, boyfriends or anything like that. Um, he, I think the way he put it to me, he says, just Use the information that's in the book. That's all you need. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, and then find the other things that you want, like Jared's story and all of that. But I think I took that as a cue not not to get involved in, in asking too many more questions. I mean, he does provide some information about his health, you know, that he suddenly developed, uh, I forget the name of uh, the, uh, the the problem. Um, Great. Where his, was that is that what it was uh something about his uh, thyroid right? thyroid yeah yeah the thyroid uh, that that can be very that can be deadly if, if you don't treat it uh so uh so he, uh, he obviously he had to drop out of school for about a year or so in order to to treat that and then he came back um 
So, you know, those were also very you know, personal issues that, that had to be dealt with. Um, it, it did also give me a sense of, uh, of where he was at in terms of his personal struggles and, and how he dealt with, you know, with, with health issues. Um, but it also tied into the health issues of the shooter, which is something we brought up already. But, but it, you know, all of it, you know, there's so many interesting thematic links in the story itself that as a dramatist, you just have to find them, right? It's like, okay, there's a good link here to this, you know, so you have to tie it, tie it together, somehow make it all work within that structure. It's about, I don't know if it's two hour play, but it's around an hour 40 something. Um, so there's just a lot to work with there, you know. The original story had a lot to work with. So. Uh, does it run without an intermission? It does, right? It's a. Uh, I've done it as a reading without an intermission, uh, but I, you know, I forget. I forget if it had an intermission when we did it at Borderlands. I, I don't think it had an intermission. Well, it seems yeah. like it would move along at a, yeah. at a at a fairly quick clip. You know, it it's mm -hmm. um, especially with all of the actors working as a tight ensemble, right. which. By the way, what uh, I, I feel like you've also given actors an opportunity to um, realize all these different characters. What right. what what a great challenge for an actor. Yeah, I yeah. Well. I mean, the actress uh, who played Gabby Gifford, Susan Arnold, uh, she also played the mother of uh, Lafner's mother, um, mm -hmm. the shooter's mother, and so she had to do you know real. <laughs> she had to make it a different type of woman. I mean, she she really did a fabulous job doing that. But all the actors had to do that. They constantly had to shift back and forth. So I found that very interesting. It was interesting to write to begin with, but but also watching them make those transformations was really was really interesting. Um, I don't know that that whole experience was was really remarkable uh, of telling the story, writing it down, and then developing it so that it actually gets produced in Tucson. I thought was really was really good. Um, but I I also thought you know did you ever meet Jose Casas, our former student uh, MFA writer? No. Well, he he came after you, but you know he he graduated obviously, and then he it took him a while, but he got a job at University of Michigan. He is the head of the playwriting program there. Um, so he put together um, an anthology of youth plays, and he was the first person who brought it up. He said, this is a youth play, and I didn't really, you know, I, when I wrote it, I didn't think of it that way, you know. I said, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure it's a youth play? Well, it is. It has includes a lot of the growing up period, obviously, and he's a young adult when all of this happens. Um, but, but yeah, he included an anthology of, uh, of Latino youth plays uh, that, that he got published. Um, it was published by the same publisher, Dramatic Publishing Company. And then they brought it out as a, as a, a one play, uh, you know, booklet. This is, so I, it was interesting that, that he labeled it that way. It's a youth play, you know, and I didn't think of myself as a, as a writer of youth plays because whenever I write plays that include youth, they're usually doing, I don't know, drugs, sex, rock and roll. And then the parents, <laughs> the, the parents complain, right? So it's like, it's not a play that's going to be done in high schools necessarily, you know? Um, so, um, but with this play, I mean, it was already done in a high school, so I, I can see how, how it could be a youth play. So, uh, there was a group in uh, Yuma, Yuma, Arizona, is a, another high school teacher. But excuse me, I think she's a community college teacher. Uh, she did it at the Yuma Arts Center with her students, and 
Um, so you know, she found it's similar to what happened with the high school presentation. It was it was meant for audiences, for youth audiences, and um, she said it went well. So <laughs> I, it, you know, I would love to see some of these presentations, but I, it, but now with virtual theater, what we've gone through the past year, uh, I think it might be possible to to do that. Uh, so that's why I'm curious to see what happens in Iowa. But most likely they're going to go back to regular theater, and I won't get a chance to see their presentation because of it. Uh, it would have been interesting if they had done it as a as a, a virtual theater thing they're not gonna but fly you out probably not no you're quite right <laughs> they, gotta, they gotta bring you out to be part of the talk back and what's their number here, I'm just <laughs> i don't even know i mean it's, it's central college i just looked it up central college in iowa central college um, yeah and uh and i have no idea what they're going to do with it but i'm just saying that they mm -hmm. were going to do it in february then they postponed it until uh, the fall sometime uh and that's happened with a couple of other places of mine that we're going to be done last year, then they got postponed, and who knows when it could, it's going to be done. You know, the play that I that I also mentioned, Men on the Verge of a Hispanic Breakdown, I mean, because that, that's probably my most produced play, right? And mm -hmm. so, but this year, the, the theater Teatro Audaz from San Antonio, Texas, they did an entire season, of basically one man, one woman shows, and they, they're all streamed. And so that's, they went with that model for this year. They said, they figured out pretty early last year that, that that's what's going to happen. Uh, and so they've done an entire season of performance type of plays. And I've been able to watch some of them because of it. Um, in other words, they're streaming them. And, and so in this case, I'm going to be able to watch my play uh, from San Antonio. It's coming up in April. Oh, I want to. I want to watch it too. Sure, I'm writing sure. it down so I can watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, exactly. You just pay an admission fee, you know, and and it streams into your computer. So I've watched two of their plays that way, and they put the actors on stage, and it's got you know light, sound, everything, all the production values, but they're streaming them out to an audience. Uh, and I know that there were some people scattered in the audience the last show that I saw because I heard applause and so forth, but, but obviously they didn't fill up the theater. So I think it's probably going to be in that model that they're going to use uh, the camera and they do the, a good job. Like they have multiple cameras, so you can see it from different angles um, and they edit them. So, uh, so they, they, it's a good presentation because it's not just one camera that's all static and you just watch the actor, you know, move back and forth. Uh, so it, they, they did a good job with that. And I think that's basically what we're doing, the pandemic in the pandemic area. And then one more thing, uh, my, my play with music, it's the first play that I've written in which I had to write lyrics and work with a composer. Uh, the play itself is called Hit Music. I don't know if you remember the Pet Shop Boys song, Hit Music on the radio. Uh, okay, you do remember. Okay, <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's named after that, but but obviously I, I'm not using their song. Um, uh, it's a play about a family in LA. The father's Italian, the mother's Peruvian American. So it's a mixed family, and the kids sing in English, Spanish, Italian. We use three different languages. Um, anyway, so it, it's a family of singers, and and yes, uh, there's a lot of singing in it, 
and it's a lot of fun. I've, I've done the workshop of it here in Phoenix a couple of times, uh, and we have developed it uh, with a group of actors. Um, and I got a grant from the Herberger um, Institute at ASU uh, to do a presentation of it. But I got the I got this grant last April, and yeah, at the time you figure how are we going to do a presentation, but but the 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 pandemic obviously made us all think in terms of virtual theater. What what does that mean? So that's the new thing, right? So uh, one of our one of my graduate students, uh, Jesse Saywill, is his name. He has a musical theater background, so he's directing it, um, and uh, he's working with a videographer. Uh, so it's going to be as like a zoomed virtual theater performance. And it's the first time that I'll be able to see that. And what's interesting to me is that I'll be able to put it on YouTube and then, you know, friends from everywhere can watch it. So that's what I find interesting is that we can do theater that now can be watched everywhere, you know. Um, and if once we go back to the regular live theater, we may lose that. But I, I, I get the feeling that we, we've gotten so used to the idea of doing virtual theater now that we may maintain that, you know. Because now we're watching Hamilton, you know, on Disney, and, uh, and so the idea of watching a play being done, um, a, you know, on a streaming uh, type of uh, site will not be so so strange. Uh, because because before that, I really wasn't watching plays like that, you know, being done. Uh, yeah. Know, so uh, yeah, we've talked about that at length mm -hmm. too, because of course the experience of being in a space, having that communal space with people breathing in sync and crying and sharing that moment. That's mm -hmm. the big thing that we lose through that, the virtual, the right. virtual box. Right. But man, if they could figure out a way that you could hear people's reactions <laughs> while yeah. we're watching mm -hmm. the virtual stage, but maybe right. it'll be like what they're doing in education and there'll be a hybrid model of theater where right, you right. can, you know, possibly go in person, but also possibly stream it, you know, right. um, hoping that it doesn't happen at the expense of the artists, like also right. finding ways for the artists to be, um, paid right the playwrights the actors the director okay. everybody that's involved in that experience because i agree with you i have gotten to see so many things that i would not have gotten to see right, if it right. weren't for the virtual experience um mm -hmm. so i do hope that some of that continues because i want to be able to continue to broaden my um horizons to be able to see um theater that's happening in iowa you know mm -hmm. <laughs> but but also i i really miss the in-person experience i look forward to the day when we can do that safely um right. so i and i'm curious to see what happens with your musical because that is one of the limitations of zoom is is people being able to sing together so i'm curious to see how your director is able to manage that. Well, you know, he um, he himself uh, was involved with a musical theater company. They did chess. He was one of the actors. So what they did is basically they filmed uh, all their actors um, singing separately, and then they edited. The sound editor put it all together, and it really sounds like they're all singing together. Wow. It's the miracle of modern technology, right? So, um, I mean, yeah, I'm curious to see what what they do with my work, but uh, but but it's been done. People have figured it out, you know. So, 
you know, we'll see what if this creates a hybrid form. But I, I find it interesting because for me, you know, I've done a lot of productions in other theaters. Uh, I've done really, you know, I, I mean, I didn't direct it, but I'm saying it was my play that was being done, uh, Playwrights Theater of New Jersey. I did several plays there in New Jersey that most of my friends did not get a chance to see. And I thought those are some of my best productions mm-hmm. ever, but they came and went, right? And I feel like, oh no, you know, like people missed out on this particular production. And I get the feeling if it were available uh, in this form, people would get a chance to to see that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a, I think, a good advantage of being able to do that. If they filmed it well, you know, and it's, it's watchable. Obviously, Hamilton, they had a multi-million dollar you know, budget, so they could do anything. Uh, but they did film in front of a live audience, so you do get to hear the audience react. Right. So, so those are you know those are good things. I, I think that if if they do a good job with it, I think it could be it could be something that that is watchable. You know, because if yeah, if you stick a camera in front of actors, that, that always that doesn't always look very good. <laughs> you know, it looks kind of lame. You know, um, but uh, uh, but but if you you know if you really have good uh, uh, cinematographers or whatever you, it is that you're using, videographers, and also sound editors, because the sound is always important, right. um, then then you can do it. You know, you can do a good job. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that because I do think that's, in some ways, it's progress, you know. So, uh, I mean, the pandemic has been terrible, uh, but if we can use it to to create something, I think that's fine. We need to we need to use our imagination even we in do. times like this. Yeah, <laughs> we got to find those silver linings for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Well, we have um, reached the point in the show where we're going to do our asking for a friend segment. Okay. So Guillermo, here is your question: asking for a friend. Mm-hmm. If you could create any law, what would Ooh. it be? Create any law. And it would, and it would be so. It would be law. So no, no filibuster opportunities. No, no. Oh, that's that's good. <laughs> Will be the rule of the land. Well, as far as I'm concerned, I think you know we live in a wealthy country. So I feel like the law that most interests me is a minimum um, income. You know, the idea that. Um, we establish a minimum income and then people who fall uh, beneath that will get the supplement needed to to live a, a decent life and to be able to save. And if you work 40 hours a week, you should be able to afford life. Not, nobody's asking for luxuries. I'm talking about basic survival uh, in a little bit more perhaps. Um, and I just think that that's, that's something that we should be able to expect up a wealthy country. You know, it's not like we don't have the resources. I don't know why someone like Jeff Bezos has to own like a third of the American income or whatever it is, <laughs> something close to that. Uh, people like that own a chunk of the wealth in this country. And uh, and the workers who are working for him, you know, are not even getting a bathroom break. So I just think that there's something about that. To me, that's important. That's the basic law, I think, of providing minimum income and health care for, for all Americans. So that's the law that I would prefer. That's with a two, no filibusters. No filibusters. <laughs> that's a two for law that you've got right there. We're gonna put in the minimum and healthcare. Yes. And healthcare. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I think it's doable from everything that I've read and, and seen. So I think so too. And 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 the country would be a a different. We would it would be a different world. Imagine. And it's not. 
not rocket science, people. It's mm-hmm. just a, a little less greed, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. A little less greed is all mm-hmm. is all it takes. So yeah. That's that's really great. Thank you. Okay. Do you have a writing prompt to leave our listeners with? Well, this might be basic, uh, but there was something that I, I talked to my students about uh, in my intermediate class. Yeah, the first day of class, because I always ask one basic question of a lot of writers when we're talking about the plays is like, could I, could, uh, could, could I get to know your characters better? Who are these people? Because sometimes, I mean, I, I don't believe in heavy exposition, obviously, uh, but I believe in getting to know uh, your main characters and for an audience to get to know their main characters. But I tell them, what could you just do the basic, what I call the wake up exercise? I don't know if you've ever done that. Um, in other words, you know, when you watch somebody wake up in the morning and you see them, first of all, get up and you see the conditions they're living in, the house, what it looks like, also who that person is sleeping with or not sleeping with, um, how they live, what what they do, what they eat, what type of breakfast they have, and then how they prepare themselves uh, to go about their day. I think that's an important thing to know about somebody because you know, even even good friends, I don't get to watch them unless I have a camera on them. I don't get to watch what they do in the morning, right? I don't I don't know what a lot of people do in the morning and how they're living. I don't know the living conditions. I assume most of my friends are, are doing okay. I don't think any of my friends are right now homeless or anything like that. But I do know that I don't know their routine. And so that tells me a lot about somebody. Also, however, I, I feel like with your character, yes, they're, they're, they might be living in an average existence, so to speak, and they're getting up and, and doing an average routine. Uh, but then there are characters, right? Our characters can be eccentric and do a lot of different things. If you look at American Psycho, it starts with a wake-up exercise, so to speak, in the film, right? He gets up in the morning, does all these exercises because he has a fabulous body, and then he does all the... Um, he, I don't know what he has, but you know, power drinks, and and then he puts on a suit, and you tell you can tell that this guy is a corporate raider. He's going to go out there and kill, but then you find out he literally kills. He literally kills. He's, he's a serial killer, right? So, but anyway, that's one type of uh, waking up. But then you have somebody. Um, I'm imagining uh, somebody who wakes up in the middle of a battlefield, uh, somebody who barely got 10 minutes of sleep because they, they fell asleep out of exhaustion. They wake up and suddenly there's more bombs uh, in the horizon. It's probably a soldier, but it doesn't have to be a soldier. It could be a civilian who suddenly gets in the middle of a war situation. That immediately tells the audience uh, you know, what's going on in this person's life. And, and, and it's an extreme situation, right? That's not an average waking up exercise. Then there's a, another type of genre, another waking up. Um, the young woman who um, is waking up in the middle of a forest and the first thing they see is a flying saucer. To me, that's the close encounters waking up. Uh, you wake up suddenly and there's a marvelous thing happening around you and that's a flying saucer. It also gives an audience a sense of the genre that you're telling. This could be a youth play or youth film, uh, but with fantastical sci-fi elements. And um, in another wake-up ex- uh, uh, wake situation could be precisely that you wake up in Mars like the character in The Martian does. Um, and that's a very different uh, world that you're inhabiting. The point of it all is that the wake-up exercise gives you um, various different ways of approaching character, situation, and genres. Uh, because 
it's a it's a situation that we normally don't see people in um and so we as the writers are the spies in, with the camera that are providing the um you know the the, the situation and, and we're giving it to the audience like this is how the person is living bang and and that can give give you a, a lot of information you know everything that you need to know about the character's current situation in the world so anyway, that's my my wake up exercise. <laughs> oh, no, that's fantastic. I, that's as wonderful. you were talking, I thought, ooh, I want to try that with one of my characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, although your friends might now be searching their apartments to make sure that oh, you, you put so a camera. camera out of <laughs> right, right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, because I mean, I also, you know, yeah, there's there's some personal spying in the sense that you you as an audience you you're always interested in seeing okay who is that person sleeping with and so <laughs> the, the writer provides that information you know so that gives you information that that you may or may not want to know but anyway <laughs> but that's that's something that uh, that can give the audience the information that you need you know um, so that exposition as gossip you might say oh i love yes, that exposition as, as gossip, gossip. Yeah, oh exactly. that is gold guillermo uh it's been so great um talking with you reconnecting yeah. with you um hearing about the origin of this story and why you decided to write it so if people want to find you um would you say uh find you on facebook but yeah, I mean, I, I always post the flyers whenever there's a play happening. I, okay. I post it there and Perfect. I provide the links in this case. I'll provide all the all the all that information. So it, it's been it's been wonderful um, talking with you today. We really appreciate you taking the time out to do it. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. It was fun. That was really interesting to hear from Guillermo about his process to to write this play and how it started with him being curious about this person that he saw on TV and um and I think the way that he approached it was just really, uh, you know, like you said, a story of resilience. It was a really great interview. It was nice to to reconnect with him because I haven't seen him in years. But also to hear about how he took a real life story and 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 his imagination and meshed together to create this play. On that note, um, we wish you love and light and joy and be kind to one another and and take care of yourself tori what's one thing what's one thing that that lifts your spirits my animals and watching yeah. birds <laughs> but sorry i just had to chuckle thinking about it because you know all of my rings that i have set up around the perimeter of the property so I can watch wildlife, the batteries have died and I need to go out and recharge them because I miss it. Do you know, I caught like a young hawk on my ring, like sitting on the fence, uh, right after a pigeon who was, it was like an hour later, but she's building her nest and she kept coming back with, um, twigs in her beak. And yeah, so can I ask you a question about your? Oh no! Because you have bird feeders, right? I do. Yeah. So, how often do you refill them? Uh, actually, I I need to refill them because I'll tell you, those birds are—they were not happy today. They're empty. I was super busy yesterday. I couldn't get out there to refill them. Um, 
and oh i have a, a feeder for orioles and my hummingbird feeders as well and the bees have been really bad about getting on those feeders yeah the mm -hmm. bees. but so and, how often yeah. do you refill them uh, which one the hummingbird well when i see the hummingbird one get low i i just take it down and refill it uh and but that's time-wise uh, like every week once a week no it's every couple of weeks with the hummingbird feeder what about the other the regular bird feeder it used to be once a week because i had like eight hummingbirds at my old house that would come but you know and it hasn't gotten to that here yet um the regular bird feeders i really should be refilling them once a week because i have it, it's like cheers over here <laughs> okay John just put a bird feeder outside of my office window, and uh -huh. I was telling them they're going to eat us out of house and home. These they're like going through that. I mean, it oh, hasn't well, even been go, a week. Okay, you got to go to Costco, and you can get a big bag of wild birds feed a lot cheaper. It's like okay. a huge, huge bag of it. Like mm -hmm. I love the idea, but man, well, yeah, those are your <laughs> those are your homies now. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> they they are but but listen i gotta now i'm now i'm all stressed out i'm like oh my gosh i have to add that to the to the budget <laughs> a new line item well, for feet but you know what it's worth it because they are so, it it's so relaxing to me to watch them like I, I i look at my ring and i watch them and sometimes i get like super distracted and go down a rabbit hole watching them because yes you know, like I, was, I go back, I go back looking at all the videos. I'm like, Ooh, what did I miss? I was almost late to a meeting this morning because I was watching two new birds that I hadn't seen before. They were little, mm. um, there were these little yellow green birds <gasps> and I had never seen them before. Finches. You've got so. little tiny finches. Yeah. Okay. So see that brings me joy. It, it makes it, it like slows down my breathing. It kind of brings me back. It takes me away from like whatever you know, whatever stress or anxiety I'm feeling, just taking time to breathe with the birds. Breathe with the birds, Tori. Breathe I love with it. the birds. I love it. Great. All right. So we hope that you all get to breathe with the birds. And so with that, we bid you farewell and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.